introduction the magic of the book of the dead of the egyptian book of the dead by e a wallace budge this librivox recording is in the public domain introduction the magic of the book of the dead the egyptians from the earliest to the latest period of their history were addicted to the use of formulae which were thought to be able to effect results usually beyond the power of man and they accompanied such formulae with the performance of certain ceremonies the formulae consisted of the repetition of the names of gods and supernatural beings benevolent or hostile to man as the case might be and of entreaties or curses the ceremonies were of various kinds and the object of the present chapter is to describe briefly those which relate to the various sections of the book of the dead the egyptian believed that every word spoken under certain circumstances must be followed by some effect good or bad a prayer uttered by a properly qualified person or by a man ceremonially pure in the proper place and in the proper manner must necessarily be answered favourably and similarly the curses which were pronounced upon a man or beast or thing in the name of a hostile supernatural being were bound to result in harm to the object cursed it seems that this idea had its origin in the belief that the world and all that therein is came into being immediately after thoth had interpreted in words the will of the deity in respect of the creation of the world and that creation was the result of the god's command in very early times the egyptian called in the professional religious man to utter words of good omen over the dead body of his relative or friend and later the same words written upon some substance and buried with him were believed to be effectual in procuring for him the good things of the life beyond the grave in the text on the pyramid of unas is a reference to something written which the deceased was supposed to possess in the following words the bone and flesh which have no writing are wretched but behold the writing of unas is under the great seal and behold it is not under the little seal and in the text on the pyramid of pepi the first we find the words the ureus of this pepi is upon his head there is a writing on each side of him and he hath words of magical power at his two feet thus equipped the king enters heaven in the reign of cheops however we are told that his second son harutataf brought to the court a man who possessed magical powers and who was able to join the head to a decapitated body and to make the complete body live again as before when cheops ordered the head to be struck off from a prisoner that the sage might fasten it on again the sage excused himself from performing this difficult task but when a goose was brought and its head was cut off and laid on one side of the room and the body on the other he spake certain magical words whereupon the goose stood up and began to waddle and the head began to move towards it when the head had joined itself again to the body the bird stood up and cackled thus in that remote period a man claimed to be able to restore life to decapitated creatures by means of words of magical power and it seems that the belief in the efficacy of the words of thoth was already well established 
in the late period the mourner consoled himself by asserting that the book of the dead prepared for his dead relative or friend had been written by the fingers of the god thoth himself a common way to effect certain results good or evil was to employ figures made of various substances chiefly wax or amulets made of precious stones and metals in various forms both figures and amulets were inscribed with words which gave them the power to carry out the work assigned to them by those who caused them to be made it is well known that the egyptians believed that the qualities and much else including the ka of a living original could be transferred to an image thereof by means of the repetition over it of certain formulae and a good or evil act done to a statue or figure resulted in good or evil to the person whom it represented in the west car papyrus we are also told that the wife of a high egyptian official called abba Anar, fell in love with one of the king's followers and that she sent to him and told him of her desire subsequently the pair met in the woman's garden and they passed the day in drinking and in pleasure on the morrow the husband was told of his wife's conduct and he determined to punish both with death having sent for his ebony box bound with fine metal he made a waxen crocodile a few inches long and having recited magical formulae over it he gave it to his chief servant and told him to throw it into the water when he saw his wife's paramour going to bathe in the evening when the guilty pair had passed another day together and the young man went down to the river in the evening the chief servant cast the waxen crocodile into the water and as it was falling it turned into a huge living crocodile about twelve feet long which swallowed the young man seven days later abba anir and the king nebka went to the water where the crocodile was and abba aner ordered it to give up the young man and it came out of the water and straightway brought up the young man when the king had made some remark abba aner picked up the crocodile which at once turned into the small waxen crocodile that it was originally and when he again ordered it to devour the young man it once more became a living reptile and seizing the young man made its way to the water and disappeared with him the faithless wife was burnt the principal actors in this story are said to have flourished during the rule of the third dynasty of egypt nearly four thousand years before christ and it is a noteworthy fact that the narrative mentions the ebony and metal box and the making of a waxen crocodile in a way which seems to show that their owner was in the habit of using the box and the wax frequently about the time of the eighteenth dynasty we learn from a papyrus that a man was prosecuted in egypt for having made figures of men and women in wax by which he caused sundry and divers pains and sicknesses to the living beings whom they represented and according to pseudocalisthenes nectanebus wrought magic by means of a bowl of water some waxen figures and an ebony rod 
the waxen figures were made in the forms of the soldiers of the enemy who were coming against him by sea or by land and were placed upon the water in the basin by him nectanebus then arrayed himself in suitable apparel and having taken the rod in his hand began to recite certain formulae and the names of divine powers known unto him whereupon the waxen figures became animated and straightway sank to the bottom of the bowl at the same moment the hosts of the enemy were destroyed if the foe was coming by sea he placed the waxen soldiers in waxen ships and at the sound of the words of power both ships and men sank into the waves as the waxen models sank to the bottom of the sea the same informant tells us that when nectanebus wished olympias the mother of alexander the great to believe that the god ammon had visited her during the night he went forth from her presence into the plain and gathered a number of herbs which had the power of causing dreams and pressed out the juice from them he then fashioned a female figure in the form of olympias and inscribed the queen's name upon it and having made the model of a bed he laid the figure thereon nectanebus next lit a lamp and reciting the words of power which would compel the demons to send olympias a dream he poured out the juice of the herbs over the waxen figure and at the moment of the performance of these acts olympias dreamed that she was in the arms of the god ammon a tradition also exists to the effect that aristotle gave to alexander the great a number of waxen figures nailed down in a box which was fastened by a chain and which he ordered him never to let go out of his hand or at least out of that of one of his confidential servants the box was to go wherever alexander went and aristotle taught him to recite certain formulae over it whenever he took it up or put it down the figures in the box were intended to represent the various kinds of armed forces that alexander was likely to find opposed to him some of the models held in their hands leaden swords which were curved backwards and some had spears in their hands pointed head downwards and some had bows with cut strings all these were laid face downwards in the box when alexander was engaged in war with any nation armed with swords or spears or bows if he recited the formulae which aristotle had taught him the swords of the foe would become as lead and bend backwards the spears would become impotent in the hands of those who held them and their heads would turn to the ground and the strings of the bows would snap returning to purely egyptian sources for information concerning the use of wax figures we come to an important work consisting of several chapters which were to be recited to keep away storm clouds and thunder from the sky one chapter reads fire upon thee o apep thou enemy of ra the eye of horus prevaileth over the accursed soul and shade of apep the flame of the eye of horus gnaweth into that enemy of ra the flame of the eye of horus eateth into all the enemies of pa in death and in life 
the rubric belonging to the chapters orders that it shall be recited over a pep written in green ink upon a piece of new papyrus and over a wax figure of a pep on which his name is inscribed in green ink this figure shall then be put in the fire that the enemy of ra may be devoured when apep is put in the fire speak ye words of power and say taste thou death to thee apep get thee back retreat thou enemy of ra fall down wriggle away depart retreat i have driven thee back i have hacked thee in pieces back thou fiend an end to thee therefore have i cast fire at thee therefore have i caused thee to be destroyed therefore have i judged and condemned thee to an evil doom an end to thee an end to thee taste thou an end to thee mayest thou never rise up again an end an end to thee an end to thee taste thou and come to an end i have destroyed the enemy of ra this figure of apep shall be burnt in a grass fire and when burnt its ashes are to be mixed with excrement and thrown into a fire afterwards when thou hast thrown apep into the fire at daybreak of the festival of the six spit upon him and defile him with thy left foot thus shall be repulsed the roarings of the backward of face thou shalt do the like of this at daybreak on the festival of the fifteenth day for by means of it apep shall be repulsed and slain before the sectet boat thou shalt do the like of this when tempests rage in the eastern parts of the sky when ra sets in the land of life to prevent the arrival of red threatening clouds in the eastern quarter of the sky thou shalt do the like of this many times as a preventive against the shower the sun's disk shall shine and apep shall be overthrown in very truth elsewhere we are told that if it be wished to destroy the fiends which accompany apep we must write the names of their fathers and mothers and offspring with green paint upon new papyrus and also inscribe their names upon wax figures of them which shall be tied round with dark hair these figures shall be spit upon and shall be spurned with the left foot and stabbed with a stone knife the most important mention of figures in the book of the dead occurs in the sixth chapter which properly speaking forms one of the texts that accompany the scenes of the funeral chamber as exhibited in chapter one hundred and fifty one when the egyptian in very early days conceived the existence of the elysian fields it occurred to him that the agricultural labours which would have to be carried out there might entail upon himself toil and fatigue to avoid this a short chapter five was drawn up the recital of which was believed to free the deceased from doing any work in the underworld but it was felt that the work must be done by some person or thing and eventually it became the custom to bury a figure or figures of the deceased with him in his tomb so that it or they might perform whatever work fell to his share it is probable that in semi-savage times the wealthy egyptian's burial was accompanied by the slaughter of several slaves who were supposed to follow him to the next world and to minister to his wants there the figures which were buried with the dead in the later times seem to have taken the place of the slaughtered slaves to these figures the egyptian gave the name 
ush ab tiu a word which is commonly rendered by respondents or answerers and they are often described in modern times as the working figures of hades they are made of stone of various kinds wood faense etc i know of none earlier than the eleventh dynasty they are inscribed with a text in which the deceased says if i be called or if i be adjudged to do any work whatsoever of the labours which are to be done in the underworld by a man in his turn let the judgment fall upon thee instead of upon me always in the matter of sowing the fields of filling the water-courses with water and of bringing the sands of the east to the west to this the shabti figure makes reply verily i am here and will come whithersoever thou biddest me several of the chapters of the book of the dead are followed by rubrics which give directions for the performance of certain magical ceremonies and among them may be specially mentioned the following chapter thirteen this chapter was to be recited over two rings made of ankh hum flowers one was to be laid on the right ear of the deceased and the other was to be wrapped up in a piece of byssus whereon the name of the deceased was inscribed chapter nineteen this chapter was to be recited over the divine chaplet which was laid upon the face of the deceased while incense was burnt on his behalf chapter one hundred this chapter was to be recited over a picture of the boat of the sun painted with a special ink upon a piece of new papyrus which was to be laid on the breast of the deceased who would then have power to embark in the boat of ra and to journey with the god chapter one hundred and twenty five the judgment scene was to be painted upon a tile made of earth upon which neither the pig nor any other animal had trodden and if the text of the chapter was also written upon it the deceased and his children were flourished for ever his name would never be forgotten and his place would henceforth be with the followers of osiris chapter one hundred and thirty this chapter was to be recited over a picture of the god ra wherein a figure of the deceased sitting in the bows was drawn this done the soul of the deceased would live for ever chapter one hundred and thirty three this chapter was to be recited over a faience model of the boat of ra four cubits in length whereon the figures of the divine chiefs were painted painted figures of ra and of the khu of the deceased were to be placed in the boat a model of the starry heavens was also to be made and upon it the model of the boat of ra was to be moved about in imitation of the motion of the boat of the god in heaven this ceremony would cause the deceased to be received by the gods in heaven as one of themselves chapter one hundred and thirty four this chapter was to be recited over figures of a hawk ra tem shu tif nut seb nut osiris isis suti and nephthys painted on a plaque which was to be placed in a model of the boat of ra wherein the deceased was seated this ceremony would cause the deceased to travel with ra in the sky chapter one hundred and thirty six a this chapter was to be recited over a figure of the deceased seated in the boat of ra 
chapter one hundred and thirty seven a this chapter was to be recited over four fires fed by a special kind of cloth anointed with unguent which were to be placed in the hands of four men who had the names of the pillars of horus written upon their shoulders four clay troughs whereon incense had been sprinkled were to be filled with the milk of a white cow and the milk was to be employed in extinguishing the four fires if this chapter were recited daily for the deceased he would become like unto osiris in every respect the rubric supplies a series of texts which were to be recited one over a tet of crystal set in a plinth which was to be placed in the west wall of the tomb two over a figure of anubis set in a plinth which was to be placed in the east wall three over a brick smeared with pitch which was set on fire and then placed in the south wall and four over a brick inscribed with the figure of a palm tree which was set in the north wall chapter one hundred and forty this chapter was to be recited over an utchat or figure of the eye of horus made either of lapis lazuli or mock stone and over another made of jasper during the recital of the chapter four altars were to be lighted for ra tem and four for the utchat and four for the gods who were mentioned therein chapter one hundred and forty four the seven sections of this chapter were to be recited over a drawing of the seven arits at each of which three gods were seated by these means the deceased was prevented from being turned back at the door of any one of the seven mansions of osiris chapter one hundred and sixty two this chapter was to be recited over the figure of a cow made of fine gold which was to be placed at the neck of the deceased during the performance of this ceremony the priest is ordered to say o amen o amen who art in heaven turn thy face upon the dead body of thy son and make him sound and strong in the underworld chapter one hundred and sixty three this chapter was to be recited over a serpent having legs and wearing a disc and two horns and over two utchats having both eyes and wings chapter one hundred and sixty four this chapter was to be recited over a three-headed ithyphallic figure of mut painted upon a piece of linen and over the figures of two dwarfs painted one on each side of the goddess chapter one hundred and sixty five this chapter was to be recited over the figure of the god of the lifted hand who had a body in the form of that of a beetle besides these a number of chapters have rubrics varying in length from two to twenty lines which declare that if the deceased be acquainted with their contents or if they be inscribed upon his coffin they will enable him to attain great happiness and freedom in the world beyond the grave seven other chapters consist of texts which were written upon the amulets that were usually laid upon the mummy namely numbers thirty b eighty nine one hundred and fifty five one hundred and fifty six one hundred and fifty seven one hundred and fifty eight and one hundred and fifty nine chapter thirty b is found inscribed upon thousands of large green basalt scarabs which 
were usually set in a banded frame of gold and laid inside or upon the breast just over the heart it is also found inscribed upon green basalt amulets made in the form of the heart the object of this amulet was to preserve the heart of the deceased and to protect it from the attacks of those who were thought to steal away the hearts of the dead its use is as old as the fourth dynasty in which period the text was not cut but painted upon it chapter eighty nine which was written to ensure the union of the soul with the body in the underworld was recited over the human-headed hawk made of gold and inlaid with precious stones which was laid upon the neck of the mummy examples of this amulet have been found with a few words of the chapter inscribed upon them chapter one hundred and fifty five is found inscribed upon tets made of gold and precious stones which have been found attached to the neck of the mummy this amulet represents the tree trunk with four branches pointing to the four cardinal points which contained the dead body of osiris and it bestowed upon its possessor stability and lasting preservation chapter one hundred and fifty six is found inscribed upon several carnelian buckles which have been found attached to the neck of the mummy this amulet gave to the deceased the powers which were enshrined in the blood and power and enchantments of the goddess isis chapter one hundred and fifty seven is found inscribed upon gold vultures which have been found attached to the neck of the mummy this amulet gave the deceased the protection of the goddess isis such as she exercised on behalf of her own son horus chapter one hundred and fifty eight was inscribed upon the collar of gold which was placed on the neck of the mummy this amulet gave the deceased freedom from the bandages with which he was swathed chapter one hundred and fifty nine is found inscribed upon several mother of emerald sceptres which were attached to the neck of the mummy this amulet gave protection or strength to the deceased chapter one hundred and sixty two is found inscribed upon circular pieces of papyri laid down upon cartonnage backs commonly known as hypocephaly they were placed under the back of the head of the mummy and by this warmth similar to that which he possessed upon earth was imparted chapter one hundred and sixty six is found inscribed upon small pillows made of hematite and other substances as the ordinary pillow raised the head of the mummy from the bed of the coffin so this amulet raised the head of the deceased in the horizon and prevented it from being laid low finally figures of the gods in metal stone faience wood wax etc were attached to the mummy in order to place it under the special protection of the deities whom they represented the following are the amulets which are commonly found in egyptian tombs and their significations one thet buckle the protection of the blood power and incantation of isis two tet tree trunk stability firmness lastingness three mut mother the protection of the goddess isis who in the form of a vulture protected her son horus and bewailed her husband osiris for a sec collar freedom from the fetters of the bandages five uach sceptre green youth vigour to flourish 
and to renew youth six earth's pillow the lifting up of the head and body seven ab heart the seat of life and source of good and evil thoughts the heart of green basalt was connected with chapter thirty b the heart of lapis lazuli with chapter twenty six the heart of mother of emerald with chapter twenty seven and the heart of carnelian with chapter twenty nine b eight ankh the object which this hieroglyphic represents is not known but it means life and symbolizes the life which the gods live nine utchat eye of ra or horus good health safe sound protection two utchats typify the two eyes of ra and the sun and moon ten nefer a musical instrument good luck happiness joy eleven sam a tool union unity twelve kut the sun on the horizon the coming forth with the rising sun and the abode of the blessed dead with ra in the west thirteen hetch white crown southern or upper egypt fourteen tesher red crown northern or lower egypt fifteen shen the sun's orbit eternity sixteen user sceptre power seventeen ren a rope which enclosed the name of kings and royal persons this sign is commonly known as cartouche name the preservation of the name was considered to be of the highest importance for the blotting out of a man's name brought with it eternal death eighteen menat an instrument joy pleasure sexual pleasure happiness nineteen naha an angle protection twenty hefnu frog a new life resurrection twenty one sec hec level equilibrium straightness twenty two ket staircase steps the steps whereon ra rested in kemenu and whereon osiris stands in the underworld twenty three maket ladder the ladder by which the deceased ascended into heaven twenty four tichy bowie two fingers the fingers which the god extended to the deceased to enable him to enter heaven twenty five maat feather what is straight right truth law twenty six kepur beetle the type of the self-begotten god the creator of the gods and of heaven and earth and all that therein is and the symbol of the resurrection finally mention must be made here of the great importance attached by the egyptians to the knowledge of the names of gods supernatural beings etc and it seems that the deceased who was ignorant of them must have fared badly in the underworld thus in chapter one b it is said that the deceased knoweth osiris and his names in chapter ninety nine the deceased is obliged to tell the names of every portion of the boat wherein he wishes to cross the great river in the underworld in chapter one hundred and twenty five anubis makes him declare the names of the two leaves of the door of the hall of osiris before he will let him in and even the bolts and 
bolts sockets and lintels and planks will not allow him to enter until the deceased has satisfied them that he knows their names entrance into the seven arits or mansions could not be obtained without a knowledge of the names of the doorkeeper watcher and herald who belonged to each and similarly the pylons of the domains of osiris could not be passed through by the deceased without a declaration by him of the name of each the idea underlying all such statements is that the man who knows the name of a god could invoke and obtain help from him by calling upon him and that the hostility of a fiend could be successfully opposed by the repetition of his name the knowledge of the names of fiends and demons constituted the chief power of the magicians of olden times and the amulets of the gnostics which were inscribed with numbers of names of supernatural powers are the practical expression of the belief in the efficacy of the knowledge of names which existed in egypt from time immemorial End of introduction the magic of the book of the dead